All right, everybody, grab a seat if you can. Grab a seat. Wonderful. It is so fun to watch people try to say hi from a distance and all the awkward interactions. I love watching it. It is one of my favorite things right now. Uh, welcome. How is everyone doing tonight? Great. Labor Day has already happened. You're already ready to, to just be done and hang out and uh, the weekend's coming. Uh, my name's Brooke. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to see you. If you have a Bible, would you please open it uh, to Hebrews? We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. Uh, just for a quick moment, we're actually going to be all around. So if you have a physical Bible, uh, you can keep one finger in Genesis and one in Hebrews and we'll be all around. Uh, secondarily, uh, we are in a two-week series uh, called Life Without Lack, and we are talking about the importance and the foundation of faith in our life and the importance of what happens when we actually have faith and also when we don't. But before we get into tonight, uh, does anyone remember at the beginning of the pandemic when we all had these super high hopes and expectations of how we were going to use this time? Anybody? Yeah, uh, a tweet that may capture... Uh, how some of us feel comes from this gal named Ruby. Check this out. March, I'll use lockdown to make things and be productive. August, I have made one thing, and it is a fool of myself. <laughs> I so relate with Ruby. Thank you, Ruby, for that. Now, maybe uh, you're one of these people like my wife who has just picked up all sorts of new things during this pandemic. She's just doing all sorts of new life hacks and things. I'm, I'm so grateful for her. But if you're like me and you're feeling like you had high expectations of yourself, or too high of expectations on yourself and reality, uh, you are welcome here. We're really glad. Now, uh, Monday marks this wonderful moment where school is supposed to start. How's everyone feeling about this? Yes? I hear a moan. This is amazing. So Monday, or Tuesday rather, school is supposed to start. And for the parents here tonight that are about to embark on this beautiful challenge of online school, uh, this is one last tweet from a mom that knows what she's talking about. It says this, uh, you can be calm. You can be a calm, rational person who doesn't rage eat potato chips before 10 a.m., or you can be a parent of children doing online school. You cannot be both. <laughs> so wherever you're at tonight, you're welcome here, and we're glad that you're here, and we're going to take a moment to talk about faith. So last week, as you know, we did an overview of faith. It was more academic in the sense of we were building a foundation of the importance of faith and what stops us from moving in faith and some of the confusion surrounding faith. And with that foundation set, what I'd like to do this week is specifically look into the how of faith. The how of our faith. How does this actually work? And if you remember, we referenced this story from Mark chapter 9. The dad was going to Jesus because his son was sick. He had uh, a demon, as the word tells us in Mark chapter 9. And he goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, you remember this classic phrase, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But the real question is how? I don't know about you, but I'm a why person. Why is very motivating to me. Why we do what we do. Why do we have faith? And the real question is how and why do we do this? How does our small amount of faith increase and become so full that our lives are bursting with peace and joy and fullness? How do we have a full enough faith to live in a way that we can say with confidence what Psalm 23 talks about, which is surely your goodness and your mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. How do we actually do that? The best place to start is Hebrews 11. Before I do, I'm going to take a moment to invite the Spirit and to ask His presence and mercy to be with us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to this place. 
We just say, come Holy Spirit. I see many friends tonight who just need to be uh, some encouraged. Some who just need to remember your presence and your activity. Some tonight who just want to be experiencing a taste of heaven. Who just want to experience people. (laughs) Thank you for that opportunity. And as we open your word, as we look into your scriptures, I pray that we would, as never is true, that we would never be disappointed. We're not disappointed when we open your word. You are so full of hope and joy in life. And so we ask that you would fill this time, bless it for your glory and our good. And everyone said joyfully, if you can, please. Amen. So the first place to start, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, we read this last week, but I feel like it is incredibly foundational, and I love this verse. Now faith, verse 1 says, brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. Anybody long for something tonight? Anybody? Yes, we long for things. We're human. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Now, if we long to live a life without lack, then we must have a strong foundation of faith. And as I asked, how? How does that actually grow? And Hebrews 11 is this beautiful chapter. It's an assemblage of people who are famous for their full faith in God. This is a beautiful chapter. And and their full faith in God changed the world. And we are invited to the same kind of life. And like these people, we are invited by the Holy Spirit and His power in us and through us to help change the world which is actually an incredible opportunity that we all have tonight. So what I want to do is I want to look at three different individuals in Hebrews chapter 11 whose lives had a certain type or a certain quality of faith that was extremely effective in the real world. And we want to take a moment to learn from these people and learn what kind of faith they had and how we can apply it to our life. And so the first person we are going to look at tonight is a man named Noah. Can everybody say Noah? Noah, Noah yes. Hebrews 11, verse 7 couple verses down from where you were at in Hebrews 1. There's this quick snapshot of a man's life, and it says this. Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation and warnings from God about what was coming, even things that had never been seen. But he stopped, oh, excuse me, stepped out in reverent obedience to God and built an ark that would save him and his family. By his faith, the world was condemned, but Noah received God's gift of righteousness that comes by believing. The first quality we need for our faith to grow, to have a robust faith, when we pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, the first thing that comes in and the first thing we need is obedience. Everybody say, obedience. Now, if you are new to the Bible, this is a weird story. Can we admit this? Have you read the story of Noah? It is peculiar. It is weird. And even if you are not new to the Bible, this is a weird story. Turn to Genesis really quick. Genesis chapter 6. As you're doing that, I'm going to get water because uh, someone forgot to tell me to check the weather app. (sighs) Pants were a poor choice. Anyway, verse 11. Check this out. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. I want to take a moment to just highlight a couple things. Now, this is the the portion of scripture where we actually see Noah's life highlighted and we get even a better window into how peculiar this quick mention in Hebrews 7 or 11 verse 7 is. Now it says this, I'll read it to you if you're not there. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Not much has changed, right? God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, 
I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And so then he goes on to give him some incredible details about making himself an ark of cypress wood. He says, hey, make some rooms and then you can coat it with pitch. He goes through a couple verses of explaining the details of the ark and then pick it up at verse 17. He says this, and I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. That's important. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you, and you are to bring all living creatures, male and female. You remember the story. Skip down to verse 21. He says, you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten, store it away as food for them. And verse 22, check this out. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So take a moment. What is going on here? Now, if you want to know how weird this chapter actually is, read the first four verses of this book. A uh, whole thing about Nephilim and uh, these angels that are like part angels and part human who like actually come down and connect with women. And you know what I mean by connect. And then all of a sudden have like these angel babies. It's a whole weird thing. So you can check that out for later. I'll give you some great resources if you're curious. But this chapter, this story is set in this peculiar time. Yet Noah did everything God commanded. So what is going on? The Bible says that all the people were increasingly wicked, but there was one man. One family specifically that stood out. And it said Noah was righteous and he was blameless and he walked before God. Now, if we're thinking about it just practically, logically here, God asked Noah to do something that was literally social suicide. You can imagine how confusing this was to have a big open field hundreds of miles from any body of water and he starts building a massive ark. This is incredibly confusing. And the first quality we all need for our faith in Jesus to grow is obedience. There are things in our lives right now that we know God has asked us to do or shown us that we might do, but we haven't actually done it. Why? You ever ask that question? Why is it so hard to obey? Well, one reason practically is because we actually need faith to obey. Faith that God knows what he's doing, that he's competent and capable. Uh, Hebrews eleven seven again, that first phrase says, Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation and warnings. Specifically from what was coming. Something that I find incredibly interesting is, is often when it comes to our faith and our understanding of God, we don't always automatically assume that God is competent, intelligent, or capable of handling our situation. Isn't that interesting? We don't assume like, God, you've got this taken care of. I know you've got this on lock. I don't understand it, but I actually believe that you are smarter, more intelligent, and more capable than I am. We actually assume most of the time in practice and reality, the opposite. We serve a completely competent and intelligent God that, as Psalm 23 tells us, leads us along right paths, directs us in obedience for the right paths to bring honor to his name. Now, to make it just personal tonight, whatever God is asking you to be obedient in, can I just, as a brother, as a friend, can I just say do it? Whatever it is, and I know that sounds really simple to say, very hard to do, I know that, but it is important. We have this saying in our home, I have uh, four kids, and we have this saying that delayed obedience is disobedience. Anybody ever heard that? <laughs> hey kids, just remember, that delay in obedience is actually disobedience and has the same consequences as just pretending I didn't say that, right? 
It's a similar thing. God's been asking you and asking you and asking you, and what you're doing is you're actually just delaying obedience, which is actually disobedience. Now, uh, for some, it might be a relationship that's not good for you. You're just kind of bored and you're loving the, the companionship. Maybe you need to be obedient about stepping out of that. Maybe it's being obedient to do the loving thing and have the hard conversation with your spouse. Maybe it's being obedient to do what the Spirit is inviting you into and to build your life around Him and His ways. Maybe it's being obedient to follow after something that God has put on your heart to do and to release the fear of your future or your financial gain. There's this old uh, prayer called the prayer of relinquishment. Has anyone ever heard of this? There's a bunch of different types of prayers. There's this prayer called the prayer of relinquishment, and it's the idea that we take our hopes and our dreams and our fears and our excitement for the future, and we relinquish. We basically bury in the ground, similarly to how Jesus was buried. We literally bury our dreams and our hopes and our fears and our future, and we say, Jesus, I trust you. I bury this thing in the ground, and I trust you enough that you are going to resurrect anything that's of you, and anything that isn't of you, I'm going to trust that you leave underground. Maybe tonight there's some that just need to pray the prayer of relinquishment. God, I'm going to trust you for an alternative future that I can't actually see, but you're good, you're competent, you're intelligent. Whatever it is, you will not regret joining God in the adventure what is called, that is called your full life. You will not regret it. Now, some of you are really amped right now. You're the kind of person that hears this and you're ready. You think, yes, I am quitting my job tomorrow, even though you're probably not working tomorrow. I'm quitting my job on Tuesday. I cannot wait for this. This obedience thing is happening. And I just want to give a little wisdom and perspective as, as you begin to follow Jesus in specific and radical obedience. Uh, if you note in chapter 8 of Genesis, after Noah's radical obedience in chapter 6, this crazy thing happens called a flood. And there's a 150-day period, almost five months, of really hard stuff and uncertainty. Are, did everyone die? Are we ever going to be on dry ground again? Is everything going to like work out? What's going on? It took me however many X amount of years to build this thing. I was obedient. And then we've got another five months tacked on of confusion. What is this obedience thing? Anyone ever, does anyone relate with what I'm saying? You feel like you step in obedience and life just seems to get more challenging, confusing, hard. Yeah. This is what obedience can be like at times. Obedience does not always mean easy right away. Sometimes we do not obey when hard stuff happens and we can instantly kind of fade back and revert to what we did before. But I just want you to notice, look at the type of obedience Noah had. It was radical, it was specific, and it was total. Radical, specific, and total. God is our heavenly father. And as a father, he probably feels like I do at times. Often when I give my kids instructions, you know, put your clothes away or hey could you put your shoes in the garage or hey kids could you pick that up i often feel like i'm saying okay kids listen closely because i'm only going to say this 257,000 more times pay attention quick right sometimes i feel like god probably feels like that towards us told you that told you that again hey i'm going to be patient but like please do that like this is for your good i'm not trying to like rain on your parade ruin your life i'm actually trying to bless your life i'm trying to bring the best out of you and you have to cooperate. We have to cooperate. So that's Noah. Now we got another character, uh, Abraham. I want you to look at uh, Hebrews 11, uh, beginning in verse 17. It says by this right here, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the, from the death. Uh, the second quality we need for our faith to grow, if we're going to follow this life without lack and actually believe in the abundance of God's provision, the second thing is testing. We need obedience, but we also uh, actually, ironically, have testing involved in our growth. Now, the word tested in Greek is actually perazo. Can you guys say perazo? Sounds so Italian. Uh, and this word literally means to make proof of. To make proof of. Now, God tests us literally to make proof of our faith. That we actually can connect with him and say, this is real. Now, the story of, uh, and the writer of Hebrews is referring to a story in Genesis 22, which you've heard. But I would like to just turn there really quick because there's a couple little things to highlight. Genesis 22, verse 1. If you don't have it, I'll read it. But I want to point out a couple really interesting things. First, it says this in verse 1 of Genesis 22. This is the story of Abraham that Hebrews was referring to. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. There's the, the obedience piece right there. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Take Isaac and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I'm going to show you. So what does he do? Early the next morning, they wake up. He wakes up his son. He's probably tired out of it. He wakes up his son. He loads up his donkey and he takes two other people, two servants with him and his son Isaac. They cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out to the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in this distance and he said to his servants hey guys stay here with the donkey while the boy and i go over here so father and son are making their way over to this place and he says we're going to worship and then we're going to come back to you in verse 6 abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and placed it on his son isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went together isaac spoke up and said um father <laughs> right yes my son abraham replied the firewood, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for like the burnt offering? And verse eight, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Just had complete confidence in God. And the two of them went together and they reached the place that God had told them about. Then skipping down uh, to verse, oh no, sorry, verse nine. Let's keep there. And the two of them went together. When they had reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it, and then he bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached his hand and took the knife and to slay his son. But the angel said of the Lord, called out from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. He said, don't lay a, son on, don't lay a hand on your boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Could you imagine Isaac? Like, hey, dad, let's go on a hike. He's like, yeah, no problem. Let's go sacrifice some stuff. Cool, dad, that sounds great. You get up there and like dad's tying you to the, the wood altar that he made. And like, this is going to be cool, son. This is going to be great. So confusing for Isaac. So confusing for Abraham. Yet he is still willing. What a weird story. Still willing to sacrifice his son. And verse 12, second part of it, he says, Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. And then Abraham looked up and there was a sacrifice for him there. If we are going to grow in our faith, there will be times that we will be asked to make proof of our faith. 
Now, again, let's just acknowledge how weird of a story that is. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm asking God, why would you want him to sacrifice his son to prove that? Some of these answers we don't fully know. But if the Lord is our shepherd, we trust that he guides us or he uses situations to guide us into testing moments. It's interesting. It seemed that God contradicted all that he had promised Abraham. You remember the story a couple chapters before it took forever. They husband and wife, Abraham and Sarah in their hundreds when they're having their first child, Isaac, they're having a baby at that stage of life. Finally, they get pregnant. Finally, they have a baby. He's the one that their offspring's going to come through. And then God's like, hey, give it all up, all of it. What an incredibly weird moment for Abraham. He seems like he's contradicting everything he's promised, but that wasn't the case. God wanted to know that he could trust him. Was Abraham truly loving and loving God, trusting him and ready for more? And he used this as an opportunity to make proof of his faith. God wanted to know, was his faith genuine? Was it real? And for some of us here, there's opportunities, maybe some even right now, that actually God is wanting to make proof of your faith. As I said, I have four kids, and when we had our third little girl, Birdie James, uh, she was born totally healthy. Everything was fine. I'll skip the story because a lot of people have heard this, but the main point is that when she was six months, we went in for some routine checkups. We, sh we thought she had an ear infection. She was making these weird movements, and turns out she had a catastrophic form of epilepsy called infantile spasms, which causes brain damage every time she has uh, a seizure. And she had these seizures ongoing for two weeks which we are still to this day picking up the pieces of. And in that moment, I remember being in the hospital day after day, week after week, and thinking, why does it seem that all the things you promised are contradicted? God, I prayed for this little girl. I, I prayed she'd be healthy, and she even was. She was fine when she came out. There was like this sense of relief. And then all of a sudden, it seems like you're contradicting yourself. God, did you do this? You know, you, you ask all these crazy questions. We ask, why, God? Why? Why? And I remember in that moment being invited to an opportunity by the Spirit to either let this break me or make me. I was invited into an opportunity in, to shun God and be so irritated that I didn't get the thing that I'd hoped for or truly do what the Psalms talk about. And even through the, sh the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear evil because he's with me. Now, it wasn't pretty. I didn't do it all right. All to say that there are moments in your life that God will allow, that, that sometimes God is not for at all that happen, but he, as Romans says, uses it for the good of his glory, will use it, and he will bring about good in your life. And I'm not sure where you're at tonight with that, if you feel like you're particularly in a time of testing. But can I encourage you, don't press past it. Start asking questions. God, are you in this? Is this you? Do you want to teach me something? Now, why is our faith tested? Why couldn't it be something else? Why does our faith have to grow through testing? James chapter 1 says this. Consider it pure joy, which sounds like a slap in the face when you're suffering, right? Consider it pure joy. Be happy about the fact whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If we're going to have sufficient faith, if we're going to live a life without lack, testing is a necessary component for growth. It is absolutely essential. 
Faith produces perseverance. And we have to let perseverance, as James says, finish its work so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What are the tests? What are the trials that you might be facing right now that need to produce perseverance? You're not supposed to tap out. Maybe some are here tonight to hear that word. Don't give up. Don't tap out. That's not what this is about. It's about you persevering. It's about growth. It's about stretching you into who God wants you to be. What has God put in your life? Or rather, what is he using to work together for good in your life that you just seem to be really annoyed by? <laughs> I don't know. It's not, the, it's not the big catastrophic events. It's the annoying, ongoing ones that seem to be the hardest for me, right? It's the nagging essence of frustrating situations that are the hardest for me. But what we can all do is invite the Holy Spirit into our life and invite him in the process of your frustration. Ask what he's up to. Ask him to teach you. And as Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear evil because why? For you are with me. We have someone with us. Your tragedy, your frustration, your testing, your trial is not as bad as it could or would be if you did not have God in it. It's just not. We do have to, we do not have to fear, excuse me, testing your trials. He is with us. Now, switching to the, the last person I just want to highlight tonight quickly in Hebrews chapter 11 is this obscure character that we don't know a lot about, but he's got some, uh, a great reputation. Uh, his name is Enoch. And Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6, I'll read this to you really quick, but it's an incredible little portion in uh, Hebrews 11. It says this, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, check this out, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The third essential quality we will need if we are going to grow in our faith and that is a part of our faith journey is relationship write that down relationship enoch pleased god right here says it really clearly and the bible says that he even walked with god now walked that word is actually a distinctive form that conveys this sense of an ongoing intimacy with god he had an ongoing interactive relationship with God his whole life long to the point where his life didn't even end and he had this special relationship he didn't even die now if you are in any kind of relationship marriage friendship dating relationship relationships are mirrors aren't they I felt so good about myself before I got married I felt great I felt like a pretty top shelf quality catch and then I got married and it's just been realizing, wow, I've got so much work to do. And the older I get, it's actually just realizing how deeply depraved I really actually am. <laughs> Why are you laughing so loud, Andrew? <laughs> He's just <laughs> chuckling in the front row. He knows. The point being, that's not a bad thing. I'm thankful for my wife every day. Relationships are mirrors. If you have a friendship with somebody, it's a mirror. And if you're in a healthy relationship with a spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or even friend, you want to do them good, don't you? You don't want to stay that cranky person. If your spouse is like, listen, you're kind of just being this person you don't want to be. First of all, you're really annoyed and irritated that they would even have the audacity to say that. 
And then you're like, dang it, you're right. You are right. Yes, I don't want to be that person. I want to step into this. I want to do them good. I want to actually engage this even though it's really hard. And the funny thing about relationships is even though they are mirrors, we want to bless the people we're in relationships with. We want to use our resources and our connections to bless them. We want to give them good things on their birthday. We want to spoil them. We want to encourage them. We want to do all that we can to make them feel special. But here's the deal. The same is true with our relationship with God. Remember 11.6, Hebrews 11.6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe two things. What? That he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Can we just pause here for a quick minute? One of the qualifiers for faith is that we believe two things. Most of the time we stop with exist. We believe that he exists, right? We go, okay, I got to believe God exists. That's what faith is. But there's actually two things mentioned there. That you exist and that, you, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We're required to not only believe that he exists, but that he wants to bless you. That he wants to actually do good in your life. That he actually has blessing and hope and joy and good things for you. That's actually required in pleasing God. Isn't that a gift? We're encouraged to believe that God is real and that he rewards those who want more faith or those who seek him. Now, to get a clear picture of what this relationship consisted of with Enoch, uh, turn to Genesis 17, verse 1, really quick. Just want to read this one verse. And if you don't want to turn there, it's on the slide right behind me. It says this, and this is speaking of Abraham, um, but it says Abram here because he hadn't yet transformed to Abraham. Another story for another time. But when Abram says this in verse 1, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and he said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I'm going to make my covenant between you and I will greatly increase your numbers. He says, listen, walk before me, be faithful, be blameless, and I'm going to bless you. This is a part of God's design that we believe him and that we actually trust that he has good in store for us. So in Genesis, Abraham's told to walk, believe, and that he's going to bless him because of it. And here, in this moment, simply, the scripture is talking about two things. What does it look like to be faithful and blameless? It means to, one, maintain an ongoing relationship with God. And two, to be blameless. Blameless, uh, in Greek, the word is tamim, and it's used specifically to speak of sacrificial animals without blemish. So the idea here with be blameless is be without fault, defect, or vice. You know, a lot of us have like this self-doubt thing. We think we're, we're, we're defected. You know, I, I was made wrong. You were not made wrong. Different is beautiful. Maybe you don't understand yourself fully, but you weren't made wrong. Choices have consequences, right? We constantly tell our kids, you are not bad, but sometimes you make bad choices and that has consequences. But who you are is good. The person that God made you is great. That choice was not so great. And that's going to be what we actually have to discipline you for in this moment, right? That's what's going on. You are not bad. But sometimes we make poor decisions. We let things into our life. We forget to ask the question, is that helpful? Or is it hindering? Sometimes you just need to ask that question with everything. God, is this is this new Netflix binge uh, fruitful? Is this going to be helpful or is this going to hold me back? 
you know, is that third piece of cake, my fault, uh, going to be good or bad, right? No, like ask that question, but be blameless to walk ongoing faith. Now, all of these men were said, and all these women that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, they all were said to have walked with God. And specifically the three that we highlighted tonight, Noah, Abraham, and Enoch. They had a faith that grew. Now, faith is something that starts small and it grows. Before we end, uh, there's one just one phrase that I, I just can't move past. I haven't been able to move past it all week. And it's in Hebrews 11.5. It says this, For before, speaking of Enoch, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. He pleased God. Now, if you're anything like me, I ask the question, well, then what was he doing? How did he actually please God? He had such a relationship with him that God was like, let's skip death. I just want to be with you, Enoch. I just want to know you. I just want to be close with you. I don't even want you to experience death. I just want you to be with me. So how do we have that kind of faith, that kind of life? To tell us, James chapter 1 says this. There's five verses here I want to read. And in these five verses, it gives us exactly what we are to do and how we are to function to please God in a way that we can have this deep, intimate, faithful, ongoing relationship with Jesus. So verse 22, James chapter 1, verse 22 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Has this ever happened to you? Right? No, the problem is we usually remember too much. We get disappointed or we're too excited about how we look and both have problems in either direction, right? But they forget what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, this is this person, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Intense words from James. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Simply to have this relationship that pleases God, it has to do with hearing and doing. We hear a lot of things, and we live in a culture now that we hear a lot and we take a lot of what we like. We take a little bit of this and we take a little bit of that, and then we apply it to our life and we kind of make up our own, sometimes in a scary way, our own new religion, our own new ideas, our ideals. We hear a lot. But what I am so so frustrated by as I move through the world currently with my generation specifically is everyone's hearing a lot and they're talking a lot but they're not doing much you're saying you love Jesus we're saying we love him we say we're all about him but it does not show up in how we actually act and how we spend our time when no one else is around how we actually treat other people how we engage with our finances it doesn't go past the surface level of saying this is cool and James really clearly says, hey, here's, if you want to please God, this is the three things you need. Here's, here's what it says. From these five verses, this is what we pick out. First, that we refuse self-deception and we keep a tight rein on our speech. That one's hard, right? <laughs> that one is difficult. 
We refuse to be self-deceived and we keep a tight rein on our speech. Secondly, if we're going to be people that hear and do, we show mercy to the oppressed, the poor, the marginalized. We use our power to give others power. We do everything in our world and our capacity to help others that don't have what they need to get what they need. We actually sacrifice to our discomfort for their good. That's what that means. And thirdly, we refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. Now, I don't know if you've taken a little dive into the world's values lately, but it's pretty disappointing and depressing. If we start picking up the world's values, what usually happens to most people that actually say they actually live like Jesus but don't in reality and adopt the world's values, you will be miserably tormented. I talk to so many miserably tormented people because you are trying to do both at once. And Jesus says, listen, if you adopt the world's values, that's going to that's going to be really hard. That's not going to work. But if we are these types of people who refuse self-deception, we show mercy, we refuse to be corrupted by the world's values and we live in light of the kingdom, we please God. If we are going to live a life that is full And without lack, like Psalm 23 says or describes, we are going to have to grow in our faith. And it starts by looking at the lives we highlighted in Hebrews. For some this week, I would say every day, read Hebrews 11. Start to get a taste for what these people were like. The stories that were told about them, the things they did. We cannot live a life without lack, without robust faith, and we cannot please God without faith. Tonight, I want to invite you into a process of trusting two things, that God is real and that he actually has good for you. He actually has really good things and not just good things that I think are good, but good things that you think are good. What I'm always blown away with in my relationship with Jesus is that if I'm aware of his presence each day, he has like a little gift between just him and I. He has little gifts he wants to give me all day, whether that's a, an encouraging word, whether that's a moment with a friend or whether that's a, a moment with a, a, one of my kids or, or a, a person that I work with or, or maybe it's just intimacy with him, hearing something, knowing something, having a, a peace that passes all understanding. If we are aware, if we are awake to his presence and we believe that he exists and that he wants good for you, you can live every single day in this beautiful delight relationship with Jesus. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Pray with me tonight.